Hello and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Helen Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Jijong, a culture writer and critic. This week we're discussing Top Gun Maverick and The Reluctant Traveler, a film and a series about older men discovering that they have plenty left to live for. Ah, mm, oh, God, we're so good at this. <laughs> <laughs> how's uh, how's the first week of March going for you, Jenny? It is the first week of March. Wow. Yeah, man. Well, the year I... has officially started. <laughs> yeah, finally, yeah. finally. A, a little bit of a delay there, but... I am just now sinking into a reality TV. I don't want to say it's a rut, but I am definitely in reality TV mode lately. Mm, so a lot of like yeah. Netflix competitions. And also uh, I started Survivor in mostly just because I wanted to watch Mike White's season when he was on there because yeah. I love Mike White. Yeah, uh, but it's yeah we have to respect our elders. Yeah. Um, and we <laughs> love course. Mike. So love much. him. Absolutely. Yes. I want, I've always wanted to see it. So ever since, you know, became more of a Mike Whitehead and here I am. Mm -hmm. Luckily, I have a free trial for Paramount Plus, which it's streaming on. So I'm excited to become totally brainwashed and obsessed with Survivor going forward. Oh, hell yeah. Well, I think the latest season premiered this week as well. Oh, um, like the current I one. I had too. no so idea. <laughs> you just had that feeling. Uh, it crept onto your skin and here you are. No, I'm, I'm glad. I started watching that season as well. My problem with Survivor is like I start it and I, I'm enjoying it as I'm watching it. But for some reason, I can never like I don't have the draw yeah craving to keep watching it so definitely some shows some shows and movies are like that it's 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 definitely yeah. it's it's a phenomenon anyway what's up with you palin i've had a really good week uh so oh. i ended up hearing back from a screenwriting competition well two of them <gasps> yes and i made it through to the quarterfinals for two writing screenwriting yes. competitions for my feature script and it's so exciting you know, I wish I didn't need acknowledgement, uh, but I do, and it's of great <laughs> to get it. Congratulations. Uh, no, you deserve ton. all that and more. Oh my god, thank you, sweetheart. I just, I can't believe it. It is kind of nuts that you write something and other people read it and they're like, yeah, this isn't bad. And <laughs> <laughs> Even good, it's all I one want. might say. It's all I want. Um, so that's been really exciting. And now speaking of other things this week, uh, tell us, what did you watch this week, Palin? Oh my god, speaking of joy, fucking hell. Um, <laughs> I have, <laughs> I finally, finally watched Top Gun Maverick. You, so you can watch it on either Paramount Plus or MGM Plus. What I did was do the free trial on through like Apple TV. Mm -hmm. um, this is the... I mean, if you've been living under a rock, I don't know. But this is basically the 2022 <laughs> summer blockbuster, the film that saved movie going and Hollywood, according to Steven Spielberg, uh, post-pandemic. Top Gun Maverick is the sequel to the incredibly successful 1986 original Top Gun movie that was directed by Tony Scott. Um, so, you know, remember when there was like news of Tom, Tom Cruise like screaming and yelling at his crew for breaking COVID protocol? Do you remember this? Yeah that, yeah, that strikes a vague chord. Yeah, so this is the film that he was screaming about. Um, and just for the record, he was right. I just, I just want to say that. <laughs> um, I listened to that audio. He was absolutely correct for yelling at them. So um, Top Gun Maverick is directed this time by Joseph Kaczynski. Uh, Tony Scott, unfortunately, passed away in 2012. Mm -hmm. So this stars uh, Tom Cruise once again as Captain Peter Maverick Mitchell. Maverick being his cool name. What do they call it? 
Yeah, he's I basically. That, I think that's what it is. Yeah, it's his. It's his name that you know the the name that pilots call each other. It's like the nickname. Um, so Maverick is an extremely talented U.S. naval aviator, and in this film, it's been over thirty years since Maverick graduated from the prestigious Top Gun school for the best of the best of naval aviators. Um, he has stayed captain despite his remarkable talent and achievements because he has refused to climb up the ranks. Uh, which might have something to do with the fact that he's a perpetual line overstepper. Um, he hasn't carried much favor with the little like high school gang of uh, U.S. Army, U.S. Naval politics, basically. <laughs> so um, in an attempt to basically prove that manually operated fast jets um, are worth keeping over drones, the film starts with Maverick overstepping once again. Um, and his old rival and co-graduate from Top Gun School, Admiral Tom Iceman Kaczynski, who's play- who was played by Val Kilmer then and is in this film, Iceman gives him a job to do to avoid his discharge. And the job is to go back to Top Gun um, and pick and teach a crew of young aviators in order for them to complete a completely impossible mission that probably he also could not do. So the catch is that his old best friend who died in the first film, he had a son who we saw in the first film, a young a young boy. That son is now um, in that group of young aviators. And it's just a little bit awkward because Maverick blames himself for the death of his, his best mate. Um, and I think his son does too. So that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's what we're dealing with. Um, how do you feel about this film, Jenny? Just like a quick line and then we can get stuck in. So I actually don't think I watch the original top gun so i came into this like pretty much with no prior knowledge it's not my type of film intrinsically in that i'm not a huge action head not a huge any of this head to be honest yeah yeah, yeah, um and i think neither of us are necessarily no really not yeah i kind of unexpectedly once you I sort of turned my brain off and just like accepted it for what it was, welcomed it for what it was. It was kind of fun. Yeah. So same, like deep same. I had not seen the first co- first Top Gun film until about like basically eight months ago where I was like, I guess I should watch it if I'm going to go see Top Gun Maverick because I was like, I'll go see it. Especially because like I wanted to go see like the big action movie in the in the cinema. Like it would have been great to that see. That would have been the experience, yeah. Yeah. So we like me and my husband, who also had not seen it or did not remember seeing it, we started watching it and we were so bored that we stopped halfway. Um we did <sighs> also know we also knew what happened at the end, which is the fact that his best mate dies. Like we we knew that. So we never like really got into it. I and mean, it was it was also part of the reason why we didn't end up going to the cinema to watch it. And mm-hmm. I deeply regret that now. Like I really do. Like I really wish we went to just go see it. Um, like imagine seeing the, the the beach um football scene and in, in, oh my in like God. big picture everyone around you. Oh my god, just jeans and pecs in like huge like the size of my head. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would love to have seen that. Um but I ended up coming away from this being like, that's a fucking movie with a capital M. That's basically <laughs> what Hollywood is all about. This reminds me of a time when I was a kid when I would watch Hollywood movies and feel like, wow, that's a movie. Like, as like a 10 year old, you know, and that, that uh, we'll, we'll get into the reasons why that is. Um, but truly took me by surprise. So let's get into the details. Uh, I think the the main thing is because this is such an icon, like Top Gun, the original is such an iconic film. When they were doing this sequel to it, I'm sure 
everybody and every actor in Hollywood was trying to sign up, especially the younger ones, because there mm-hmm. was a there was a need, a casting call for younger aviators for this. So this does have a stacked cast, but you know, in terms of the old heads, in terms of the people that we've seen before, uh, we have John Hamm in this, we have Jennifer Connelly, uh, we have Ed Harris, and then for the younger boys, we've got um, Miles Teller who plays. Goose's son, uh, the best friend's son. His name in this is Rooster. Um, and then we've got Glenn Powell, Jay Ellis, Danny Ramirez, Monica Barbaro, and then our Southside, you know, favorite, Bashir Salahuddin, um, who is so good in this. I'm so happy for him. Um, and then we just want to give a, our sincerest condolences to Manager Kinto, whose lines were completely cut the fuck out of this film. Um, I think oh, when he they was were doing supposed the, to be in this movie? He was supposed to be. So when they were doing the casting, uh, you know, like all the deadline uh, stuff, um, his name was in it and everyone was like really excited. Like, oh my God, yeah, good for him. Um, yeah, he's like not in this. You can kind of see his face every now and oh again in the God. background, but he was completely cut out of this, which is really sad. But that's life, baby. That's Hollywood. That's anyway, life. so... I think in terms of tone and feel, the strength of this film is genuinely that it is trying to be a late 80s, early 90s movie unapologetically. It is using all the modern technology that it needs to do for all the action sequences and the way that it looks. Uh, but in terms of tone, the way that it's written, the way that the characters are written... It felt like I was watching an 80s movie. Does that does that sound about right to you? Yeah, it's very clear-cut. It follows the formula to a T, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing in this case. It's just, like, everything is so, so like, measurably, like, A, B, C, like, bam, bam, bam. This is yeah. how it's going. This is the sequence. Yeah. This is every turn that you know is going to happen. Not surprising, but, like, it doesn't well it does it competently and it does it in a way that feels yeah. very sort of self-assured of itself oh 100 percent. like the fact that it was just like not embarrassed by it it's just there's that you simply have to respect it like when you're watching it the, the thing that you said at the top about like simply turning your brain off don't deep it this is not a film that you deep this is no a film that absolutely you just strap not. in for the ride literally as if the, you know the the film is the jet and you just have to let it go on autopilot because you're in very capable hands Speaking of capable hands, you know, like the fact that the stakes are so clear cut and the sequences are like so impeccable. And the fact that I think like my favorite part is the fact that the cast is so committed to the bit. You know, Mm -hmm. they are being overseen by King of Scientology, Tom Cruise, (laughs) who I'm sure is very intimidating, despite the fact that he's like five foot six. Um, I'm fascinated by how everyone's doing the line readings. I just want to give a huge shout out to Glenn Powell. he was so funny like we were cracking up in that bar scene yeah uh my husband and i were just cracking up at his facial expressions and i've always known this about glenn powell like every time i've watched him i've been like he's always kind of a delight he's such a delight he's like usually like comedically great um and obviously it it calls for this and he's meant to be like who val kilmer is in the original of just being like the dickhead that's overconfident that's like a bit of an antagonist um to miles teller's character but like he's so charming at the same time. <laughs> I've always been like, if aliens were to come down and be like, show me someone from the United States of America who's male, I'd be like, here he is, this fucking yank right here. <laughs> Cause his face, <laughs> his face is like just so arrogant and like sure of himself. Um, and he kind of looks a little bit dumb too. He's just perfect. He's perfect. And he, he's honestly like my favorite, um, out of, out of everyone in this. Um, yeah. I think he's definitely, um, probably the biggest 
breakout from this film if there ever yeah. was one yeah. yeah miles teller i'm gonna say like i don't know if it was miles teller's portrayal of rooster or just yeah. like the more understated character of rooster that was written like he has the stuff that he's like pretty much self uh a lot of stuff is like sort of suppressed inside of him and yeah. he's his deals that he's like he needs to let go and lean into his tuition more so something about miles teller teller as rooster i thought i would be more charmed by and i just I know. was not at all yeah yeah especially because you know he's used his breakout role in whiplash was about like a mentor and he had to be like the the young boy that has to like listen to him or whatever so i i get the casting choice and he does look a little bit like the guy that plays his father in the original but yeah definitely physically he's there but i totally i totally agree there was it did feel like something was like slightly missing and i genuinely don't know if it's because most of the time his scene partner is tom cruise and mm. tom had to be the better actor in that because it, it you know like there is like this this weird like male actor ego thing that happens right so who's to say but i i totally agree i think like the the character that honestly emotionally required the most um it kind of undelivered a little bit mm -hmm. obviously we can't we can't not mention uh the fact that this is you know a classic military propaganda film yeah classic uh, <laughs> americana in that way it's so brazen it's honestly been a minute um you know it's very cute good attempt good try uh very old school very it's, old school it's so funny that the enemy like there is there is some threat they don't name who yeah. it is where it is any anything about that it just goes unspoken it's just yep. like the faces are obscured the the country can be anywhere the the, yeah. the jets the uniforms can be anywhere yeah. it's so it's so funny it's on and honestly yeah i do prefer that to them um probably yeah, being like china or north korea right. like as usual 100 percent. i think it was a very very smart move on them to just keep it as generic as possible because like we know we know how like like most military movies are it's like it doesn't matter who the enemy is like it's your job to protect the country that you're from that's genuinely like what the indoctrination is all about so yeah. it makes sense but you know like what we were talking about last week about the last of us feeling like a video game this is the part of the film that feels like a video game because it's just like it's totally not going yeah. into specifics just like and totally dehumanizing like the, they're they're faceless like little black figures dressed in yeah. black and and they yeah. talk about like kills so casually and yeah that's yeah. just like here we are the the military propaganda right here right yeah, in your face yeah. and yeah and let's yeah keep it rolling and exactly and it's like you know we're all for those that watch it that understand and see it it's really fine because you know what's happening and you you know you're not going to get affected. It wasn't like I turned around and was like, was like, oh yeah, maybe we should give like seventy five billion more dollars. Um, and like speaking speaking to the to that that military propaganda, I think the thing that really affects people is the action sequences and the stunts. Um, it's essentially what the money is for. You know, they they spent a lot of money on this movie, and one of the ways that they did that is that they paid eleven thousand dollars an hour to rent. Uh, F-18 fighter jets, just a one single one, from the Department of Defense. Um, and this is something, if you didn't know, the DOD makes a lot of money from the movie industry by renting out a lot of their equipment and stuff. Oh, um, I actually did not know that. Yeah, so, I mean, not, obviously not, compared to the amount of money they get from the government, get, and, like, from yeah. your average taxpayer, it's really nothing. It's a drop just in the bucket. Just some little, but, some little side change. Yeah, but it's, it's like a little bit of a, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your situation. Um, mm -hmm. and so they rented them out, obviously, to, for the, for the exterior shots of the, of the jets flying around in the sky, because they were actually flown by real fighter pilots. But they also used them 
to strap the actors in into the passenger seats of those jets so that for a couple months they just flew in those jets to not get nauseous and to get used to being in a jet like that in the sky because for the shoot itself they did actually oh the actors had to be in the jets um yeah so the actors did fly planes they didn't fly Uh f-18s they didn't they didn't fly like i don't think they flew anything that was actually like a a fighter jet type thing but they Uh they flew something they flew a plane the Mm. i think the model of it and everything there's a really great gq article with the stunt coordinator for this um that really gets into the details of how they did it uh but yeah they essentially like once they went in they were in the sky for real and then they had to kind of be their own director their own dp their own makeup person because all of that like the fact that they're actually in the sky is all true and we're not surprised because obviously tom cruise is the guy that's like eping this film tom cruise famously got his pilot certification sometime in the in the mid 90s and he is famous for doing his own stunts you know for mission impossible and then also for for this one too practical effects man you know we we love to celebrate it it's you know with the rise of vfx it's been it's been dwindling Especially because it's a little bit more expensive. It takes a lot more time. Possibly more dangerous. Yes, of course. Yeah. Um, but like once you see it happening, especially in a film like this, you, you can only respect it. Like I, I think there's really something that you cannot deny about watching a bunch of actors actually get into planes and actually fly. It's fast. It's fascinating and I love it. And I know that it's very tough to be an actor out in these days, but I wish that more movie stars did this um, Mm -hmm. now. And I think like, you know, Tom Cruise, obviously being who he is, he is such a champion of it. um, And he tries to be like an example of it too. So yeah, I'll say like for Tom Cruise, I'm not like a big Tom Cruise fan either necessarily, but watching this, there's an undeniable kind of movie star quality to him. This this gravitas, this charisma that he had. A a leading man, like properly. And I don't know what it is exactly. Like, or if I'm just spouting the same thing that like has been passed off by so many people, like it's just absorbed into my bloodstream now. But but I totally agree. There is something about about that guy and what he's doing. (laughs) Yeah. And like, are we ever going to see that guy again? Like, who's the next Tom Cruise? I don't know. Like, you see him, you see someone like Daniel Craig, like, maybe it's because we were raised on him and, like, that's what's enmeshed in our DNA is, like, we understand him to be that way. But I don't know anyone that comes close, like, to Tom Cruise, straight up. I'm not that big of a Mission Impossible fan. I don't really like not that I don't like the movies. I just simply... I've never seen a single one. It's not in me to watch them, so I haven't seen most of them. But I see the stunts and I see the sequences of the stunts and I'm just like, holy shit, this guy, there really is no one that has the balls like he does. And I don't know if it's just that Scientology juice that's like keeping him <laughs> running. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, man, good for him. Um, I really enjoyed this movie. I don't know how to describe it. I think there's so much excitement with the fact that the stakes are so clear and the fact that the challenge is, you know, the stakes are so high for everyone and like, death is on the cards achievement is on the cards you have like a bunch of characters that know exactly what they want and what they need to get out of a situation um and you know i was gasping a lot towards that last act when that when that you know final sequence was happening i was like so scared and like worried and was so happy and like cheerful once you always knew like was there ever any doubt in your mind that like mav wouldn't make it out alive like no no i knew mav would make it out alive but there was a part of me that was like, 
but what if he does die? And then that's why this yeah. is like the last of it. And that's the way they cap it. But like, I knew what it was I was watching, which is a deeply Hollywood franchise or like a deeply Hollywood, like iconic film. And if we, there's one thing we know about Hollywood, it's that they love a happy ending. So I didn't, I didn't think that yeah. he would. Yeah, yeah. But there is like something to that tension there, right? Where you, you kind of have the comfort of knowing the formula, but also like yeah. just that small question of like, but that would be a good way to, to end a franchise. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, wouldn't it be so funny if this man killed this kid too? <laughs> Just like wiping out this entire family tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Uh, but yeah, that's entirely different dark. movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let me do Top Gun Maverick. I'll show you how it's done. Anyway. Um, so, you know, I, I think this was really enjoyable. The rest of the world agrees with us. Um, it has made $1.5 billion dollars. Uh, and it was made for 170 million. Tom Cruise, because of his fantastic agent manager and his own, you know, balls, uh, gets a very hefty cut from, from earning. So he earned 100 million dollars from this film. Good for him. Uh, I guess. Uh, and <laughs> that saying that, I think a lot of people were wondering if, if it would get nominated for Oscars. And when the, when the nominations were announced, it turns out it did. It got nominated for six categories, one of which is for best film which is pretty surprising considering how the Oscars doesn't usually give best picture nominations to like action or horror genres. Um, it's more of a drama. That's kind of where it stays. Um, yeah. So it was surprising, but also I think it's a correct, correct decision because really? it is so, yeah, dude, it's like, it's in the culture. People talk about it. People tr- love it. I, I don't think it's going to win a it. nomination. It, it can yeah. get a nomination. Yeah. But I don't. Would I, you root I, I, for it to, to get a win? No, no. No, I, I don't go, think yeah. it should win. No, yeah. I'm a draw. I'm a drama head. Like I love yeah. indie cinema. Like I don't think a film that made fucking 1.5 billion dollars should win any awards. I think it's already won the <laughs> award of money, which is ultimately the most important award. The, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it, it. You know, if the Oscars is trying to stay relevant, let's just say that. Um, I think it should mm-hmm. swing a little nod to the film that essentially a gave point. a lot of people hope about going back to cinemas. You know, like so. I think that I think that's probably the nod there. All right, Jenny. So, what did you watch this week? This week, I watched the Reluctant Traveler, which is on Apple TV Plus. This is a new travel show hosted by Eugene Levy, who you all might know from Schitt's Creek or his long career in comedy. Also, Dan mm-hmm. Levy's father is many young people actually know him now. Uh, so Eugene Levy, he's the host somehow of the show. And basically, it's eight episodes long. And across these eight episodes, Eugene Levy travels to Finland, Costa Rica, Venice, Utah, the Maldives, South Africa, Lisbon, and Tokyo. Mm. So I think I was interested in the show because... Honestly, I think I have the travel bug. I have the travel itch Mm. right now. So I guess like one question is what differentiates this travel show from any other travel show that you can watch or like any YouTubers things that you can watch? One, production value. It is ridiculous how good this looks purely from a visual point of view. Speaking of the way that it looks, the way that this is filmed, the money that clearly went into it in booking these luxury hotels and these experience, everything. Everything. Like, they rented the good cameras and they have at least three drone operators going at once. Yes. Time. Yeah. yeah. It's really beautiful. Um, what did you think of this show, just to start off with, Pellin? Do you want me to be honest? 
Yes. And I mean, definitely, I think both of us will have some quibbles with it, but be honest right now. I really did not like this. Um, How far did you get through it? I, I went through three episodes. Okay. Um, and I, I'll, I'll explain why. And I totally get why you do like it. Um, I think I just did not have the patience for someone that didn't necessarily want to be there <laughs> to pretend as though they didn't want to be there and then spend the entire episode getting convinced as to why they should have been there. Yeah. Um, that's, like, it just it got under my skin. The, yeah, we'll, yeah. Get, we'll talk about I it. I totally yeah. understand. Yeah. So what you are referring to, of course, is the show's shtick, the thing behind its name, The Reluctant Traveler. So the whole idea, I think, is Eugene Levy is supposed to be a reluctant traveler. So he he describes himself constantly. He says he's not very adventurous. He always has some sort of low-level anxiety. He is pretty wary of new foods and new places and experiences, all that stuff. So not like the most natural traveler, to be honest, or choice for a host of a travel show. I mean, I get um, it. The man's 75 years old. Like, I he think is 75. Point, it would which take is, a lot for me to <laughs> leave the house. He looks yeah. good for his age, too. But, yeah. you know, 75 is getting up there. Yep. Um, I do believe his thing where he says, like, he's, like, anxious and not the most adventurous. I, I believe it's probably real. He definitely plays it up for the show. Mm-hmm. It becomes more of an, like, an affect that is sometimes relatable sometimes actually a lot of the time it becomes way too much like yeah like you said like oh no like i'm sorry this guy has gotten stuck in a luxury hotel on like the most beautiful crystal blue ocean known to man and and this like all expenses paid adventure of like a lifetime. Like, I'm so sorry that he has to do this. And, and then each episode he goes through the motions of, yeah, like you said, hmm, maybe this isn't so bad. Or like, yeah. I'm learning to embrace a little more of the wild side and things like that. Mm. Yeah. I totally yeah. get why that shtick can be off putting for a lot of people. And honestly, I did find it off putting too. But I think there is like the, the key to the success of like, enjoying the show is to just ignore most of those things that he's saying most of that shtick which i know is a lot to ask for ignore almost all that is all that you can ignore the kind of cliche or very sentimental insights that he is presumably being forced to deliver in the voiceover like observations about oh, you know, the people are so kind, or it's like the blend of old and new that make up uh, Japan or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I found Levy, like, to be a charming enough host when he was just, like, purely being himself and being a good sport to go Mm -hmm. with whatever they ask of him. That is, like, kind of how a travel host has to be, I think. I do like that, like, one thing that they try to do is root into a phrase from that country that kind of encapsulates its um, philosophy as a nation and to try and, like, tap into that and see what that means. Um, I think that's a smart move from the producers and that eventually, like, gives us the, like, the thing that he's searching for and the thing that he finally hopes to achieve and does for the most part for each episode. So I, I like that format too. Um I want to say that, like, I grew up watching or I have seen a couple episodes of An Idiot Abroad, which is um, our, like, British version of this, in a way. It's, like, a show that was created by, like, I think Ricky Gervais, but it's just Carl Pilkington hosts it, and he's just a really ignorant, dumb 
British man that goes to like all these different countries and like hates the food that he eats and just like doesn't want to do it and is like so deeply British and that's the comedy of it, right? Mm-hmm. At the time when it came out, it was very popular because it was like funny for a bunch of people. But obviously, like looking back on it, it aged so poorly. <laughs> and yeah. like, I think, you know, in terms of the appeal to like most Americans or most Westerners about like, yeah, like most people don't have the wanderlust that like, say you and I have and like aren't down to eat anything and aren't down for like different climates and stuff. And like, this is something to root into them. And I think what the show does eventually do is a bit of a trapdoor into leading people into that way and then finally being like actually i respect this like philosophy about this country and i understand where it's coming from and there's like this is good this is why we travel um so ultimately the you know the trojan horse of what it's trying to do is correct and good and appeals to that type of person that is also a reluctant traveler themselves do you know what i mean yeah so i respect that for it yeah like i'll definitely say like i was watching this with my mom and she cracked up at so many of the things that eugene levy says and she was like that's just like me like she is yeah yeah. she likes to travel too and has traveled quite a bit but like yeah is yeah not maybe not too into you know sushi or well i i like don't eat meat or seafood either so neither so neither do i but yeah yeah, she she doesn't necessarily want to go on like a safari or to like right um, you know go out at night time to see whatever and so right. she as like from that viewpoint of um and again she, she she's from a different country she is like totally traveled and she has immigrated like left her home country but yeah. she is also in that mindset of like this man is totally me this man is yeah. relatable and this is so funny yeah that this is this is just how i would react yeah, so like, I'd rather not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, I'd yeah. rather not. Politely, I'd rather yeah. not. And um, my, my parents are the same way. Like, they love to travel within Turkey. That's it. Like, they mm. do not, like, they, they go on road trips. Like, they drive to Turkey uh, from from London, and then they use that car to drive around Turkey to, to see the mm-hmm. different cities and the different, like, regional places. And they love it. Have my parents ever spent money? And part of it is because they're too poor to just like go on travel for fun. So they have to like see their family while they also, mm. while they also have a vacation. But like on a side note, like my parents don't really like to go to different countries. They're a little bit wary of different cuisines. They respect it, mm. but they're like, mm-hmm. I'd rather eat Turkish food. So, yeah. That's <laughs> like, very common. I feel super common for a lot, a lot of immigrants. So it's just like, I know that they would also enjoy this. I know that they would also think that whatever Eugene thinks is weird is also weird for them. So, yeah, it's it's an appeal to a type of person that just wasn't me, and I totally get it. So Yeah. yeah. I think, like, maybe uh, some of the other reason that I found this more appealing, I think, is because I was thinking of it in relation to my mother and age mm. in general. Um, yeah. Like we said, yeah. Eugene Levy is 75, he doesn't yeah. look it, but he is he is 75 um, and actually 76 right now, I think. Mm. So there is something I found almost moving about some of his like late in life revelations, like the possibility of being 75. And you would think, especially in a society that is not really made for old older people, that that is like basically towards the end of your life. You're like, you don't really have any much more to give or to see or to do. Um, but still, yeah, like he's like, he can be 75 and the adventure doesn't have to end yet. And actually, like the journey can begin even now at this age, like the change and the totally. growth, they don't have to stop. That really made me 
it, it kind of moved me. And I, I also definitely really thought about it in the context of my mom and how yeah. much of the world she still has yet to see and wants yeah. to see. And I'd love to like take her, take yeah. her to all those yeah. places. Like, like fucking, yeah. Like Apple, like send me on a trip with, with my mother <laughs> and making an intergenerational, like a travel comedy doc about us going to all these places. Exactly. Oh my God, that I would watch the shit out of that. If any Apple execs are <laughs> listening to this, let's fucking go. Sure, um, you'll be the one and only viewer, and that's all we need before we get yeah, canceled by I, Apple I'm, TV. Again. I assure you, I will not be the one and only viewer. That any, everybody <laughs> wants to watch that. I promise you. Um, no, I totally agree, and it's also like the meta aspect of it is you can kind of see the appeal of this, where it was like you know Dan Levy obviously is like flipping that Shit's Creek brick to his like big brunch and and yeah, great the great Canadian baking show. Like he's doing the reality show check cut in that uh-huh. end of it so i'm sure that there's something going on here where he tried to convince his dad to do it and the thing about eugene is like of course if someone was to be like hey you get to try these experiences before you die he was like yeah d- yeah you can sure. pay me to do yeah. this <laughs> um and you totally get it you totally get the appeal of it for sure yeah yeah so the show does while annoying in some aspects it does succeed in Kind of stoking that wanderlust, maybe inspiring people to want to get off their couches and, and travel a little more if they can. It, uh, also a form of escapism. These are all things that travel shows, travel as a genre, as a form of content. That's what they're made to do. They don't necessarily like reflect the reality of like each place and their inhabitants. They're not like yeah. very nitty gritty sort of documentaries. There often has to be some political or socioculture aspect that for them to you know shoehorn in this this effort to mm-hmm. meet the people and mingle with the locals that's that's all fine i totally understand that but yet you know still i think that this is a fun very escapist and a little bit of like wanderlust inspiring show yeah i definitely made me want to try to get to as many places as i can i'll say that i'm already in this sort of mood already because I've been watching a lot of travel TikToks. I'm not going to lie. I've been following people who have like quit their jobs. And maybe I think it's also because I'm in a current state where I'm not attached to any employment at the moment. So it's, it makes you want to do something crazy. Yeah. It's like the call to the void financially, you know, (laughs) just being like, yeah. Yeah. Like I should probably save money, but also like, what if I just drop five grand on a two week holiday somewhere? Yeah. Yeah, what if I just deplete every single inch of savings to to just like do a full year like yeah. traveling around and maybe trying to get a TikTok following from that and get some spots of that like yeah. I don't know. It's wholly just like irrational and unlikely um but I'm following like some people who have done that and it, I feel so envious at times. Um, I, I mean, I will say in the times where I have traveled when I've been broke and I definitely shouldn't have done it, I never regretted it. Like I still, to this day, I never regret it because I did it. Yeah. You, do, you have the experience and you have it. Like it is a part of your little like personal collection of places that you've been around the world. Um, so yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that <laughs> so, so much. So out of, um, so you've only seen three episodes, so not necessarily know the range of all the full range of places that he went but yeah but out of the the locations that are featured in those episodes mm-hmm. are there any that you would want to go to well i think you know we haven't seen it yet but like i know that he goes to tokyo that's like a standard like of course i also want to go to tokyo because I, I still have yeah. not been to far east asia but i will say out of the ones that i've seen so far i think i would probably 
want to actually do Lapland, dude. I, I think I would want to go to Finland. It's wild yeah. because it's cold and, you know, I don't, I've never been skiing. I've never done any of the snow sport mm-hmm. holidays or anything like that. But there's just something about the remoteness and the forest of that and like the visuals of it that I was mm-hmm. like, I think I need that psychologically. There's just something missing in me that I think this would satisfy. So kind yeah, of prob- remote and cozy and yeah and just being all surrounded you are left by, with is nature uh, yeah, and your thoughts yeah nature trees and then like the northern lights at night um oh yeah i think i would probably weep every night if i ever saw them um so that yeah that, that's me what, what about you honestly it did make me want to go to each of these locations mm-hmm. in for different reasons and mm-hmm. but i'll say like i would love to go to Amangiri specifically oh, in yeah. Utah. Yeah, yeah. I would love to go to this, what is it, $3,000 a night resort. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe someday. I don't know. Like as like a sort of bucket list kind of place. Yeah. I, I think I've, I've had that place on my radar for a while from other travel shows. Mm, um, yeah. But there is something like similar to Finland, similar to some of these locations, just the, the remoteness of it, mm-hmm. just being surrounded purely by the land and the sky. One day. Yes, one day, one day. So for Culture Notes this week, we have the Oscars coming up. So they're going to be airing on Sunday, 12th of March, um, which, you know, by the time this episode comes out, will be this Sunday. I'm pretty excited about watching this. Um, You know, I've seen a lot of uh, like three or four now different award ceremonies from different bodies. But this is obviously the one that everyone's excited about. There's a lot of predictions going on. So we figured that we will do our own little prediction section slash kind of what we secretly want to win. Uh, so what are the categories that we're going to do, Jenny? We're going to do... We're going to do basically just the main ones. Picture, director, actor, actress... Maybe supporting actor and actress. We'll see how we feel by the time we run to the end of this in like yeah. seven minutes. Yeah. So let's start with uh, let's start with best picture. Okay. So yeah, first off, Pellen, let's let's do it this way. What do you think will win, and then which one do you actually want to win? Okay. So let me list out let, let me list out the ones that are actually nominated. So we've got All Quiet on the Western Front, which is on Netflix. Avatar: The Way of Water. The Banshees of Inisherin. Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, The Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. The one that I actually want to win is Tar. I guess I would also want Tar to win out of anything here. Yeah. But in reality, I think there's been a lot of chatter and seeing how the way some of the other rewards have gone mm-hmm. that... Um, Everything, everywhere, all at once is probably going to sweep a lot of these categories. So I'm thinking it's looking more and more likely that that might nab Best Picture. Um, I am not pleased about that. I'll just say that much. Um, I'm sorry to our listeners that maybe have picked up up until now that I did not enjoy that movie, but I did not enjoy that movie. Um, And I'm very happy for everyone acting in it. I think they were all fantastic. Do you think that? Do you think that's gonna probably win Best Picture? I don't know. Like, I kind of feel like it's between that and The Fablemans. If I'm gonna, if I'm being really honest. Um, really? Cause, yeah, because you know, I think The Fablemans a is a good film, but also like people want to give Steven Spielberg his flowers, and this is a film about his life. Um, I, I guess that's true. And you know, if they have any sense, I think they'll they'll, they'll just give it to Tar. <laughs> but. You know, famously, the Oscars happen. has never never really had that much. The last time they had sense was when they gave the the Oscar to Parasite. Um, 
All right, moving on. <laughs> Should we do Best Director next? Yeah. Sweet. So the nominees are Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inisherin, Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinert for Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, Seema Spielberg for The Fablemans, Todd Field for Tar, and Ruben Austin for Triangle Sadness. Who do you want to win and who do you think will win? I think I would want Todd Field for Tar again. Yeah, I, um, same, same, yeah. That might be a recurring theme here. But I think actually, if anything, here is where they might give Steven Spielberg true the Fablemans uh, win. Same. I, I, me personally, I want a tar sweep. So just like, <laughs> just know that about me. I think this film is head and shoulders above the rest. But you're right. I think they will probably give it to Steven. All right. Let's do best actor. So the nominees are Awesome Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for The Banshees of Nishiran. Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Mescal for After Sun, and Bill Nighy for Living. Yeah, who do we think is going to take it? I think Austin Butler's going to take it, dude. I think I I would agree with that. I see the, yeah. the gears, the campaign, like, spinning out, and I think that's probably going to be the conclusion. Do you want him to win, too? No, I want Colin Farrell to win. <laughs> Me, too. I really want Colin to win it. Oh, my God. He deserves it. He's put in that so was, much His work. performance was so good. I, oh, so good. So, so my good. My heart just, like, yeah. breaks, like, whenever I think of yeah. that role and, and how he did it. Yeah. And, like, we love Paul Meskell. Like, I'm so happy that he got nominated for this, but I don't think mm-hmm. this is a film that he should win it. I think he's still no. got plenty left in the tank. And he's, he, yeah, he's got a, a long career left. Yes, and he has many, many more films. Uh, moving on to Best Actress... So on our nominee list, we have Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna Darmas for Blonde, Andrea Riseborough for To Leslie, Michelle Williams for The Fablemans, and Michelle Yeoh for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Okay. Let's get into it. Um, Andrea Riseborough. No, I'm kidding. Um, can we- <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a bit stuck because I do want to give it to Michelle Yeoh because she deserves it. Um, but if I'm being honest, I think I enjoyed Kate Blanchett's performance the most. So I would probably say that I want her to win, win it, but I do think that Michelle's probably going to take it and that makes me happy. So yeah, that's Mm -hmm. how I feel. What about you? I think I agree that I would want Kate Blanchett to win for Tar. Um, actually, you know, I do think Michelle Yeoh is probably going to take it. Yeah. I would have said maybe one at one point that I think it would have been split between Kate Blanchett and Michelle Yeoh, but yeah. The more, like, the closer we get to it, I think it might be looking like, again, everything, everywhere, all at once sweep, so Michelle yeah. Yeoh. Yeah. Which, yeah, I, I don't mind either. I think the the cast was, was very good in the movie for what it was. Yeah, totally, totally. All right, let's just do Best Supporting just, just to do it. We can, we can Yeah, why not? It. Let's round it out. Sweet. Uh, best Supporting Actor, we've got Brendan Gleeson, Brian Tyree Henry, Judd Hirsch, Barry Kean, and Kihu Kwan. Who do you think is going to take it, and who do you want to win it? I think... Kihui Kwan for everything, everywhere, all at once. I think mm-hmm. he's going to take it again, yeah. like just going along with the trend. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I really loved Barry and in, in, in the Banshees of Inisherin as yeah. well. I mean, he was so heartbreaking, like that specifically. Yeah. Some of his scenes. I I don't think he's going to win that at all, but that would be my wish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I agree about the Kihui Kwan win. I think he's probably going to take it. I want Brian Tyree Henry to win it. Um, mm, yeah. I think so many people have talked so much about how good of an actor he is. Um, and he is really good. He's really great. I just think that he needs it. Like, I think he needs this win 
to then take him to the next level where he can be a leading man in mm-hmm. like more dramatic categories, which is what we crave from him. Like he's such a good mm-hmm. dra- drama actress and like he did, he did comedy a little bit for Atlanta, but it was still like the more emotional tender moments. And he's so, mm-hmm. he's like the best thing about this film, uh, Causeway, the one that he's nominated for. So I want him to win. Um, all right. Best supporting. We've got Angela Bassett, Hong Chow, Kerry Condon, Jamie Lee Curtis and Stephanie Shu. So. I'm just going to get mine out of the way. I want Kerry Condon to win this. I'm hoping Angela Bassett takes it, but mm. yeah, I haven't seen, I haven't seen this film, so I can't say, uh, but from the clips that I've seen off of the different ones, um, hopefully she gets it. Hopefully they give it to her. Um, what about you? I think it is going to come down to who do they want to reward more for like a body of work, which I think again, that is either Angela Bassett for Black Panther or Wakanda Forever or Jamie Lee Curtis for yeah. Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, yeah. Um, you don't think they're going to give it to Stephanie? Too young, right? Mm, I don't think so. I think that yeah. would be a huge... I would honestly be, be really surprised if they did that. Same, yeah. I'm she surprised she was like, nominated. Like, Yeah, it is. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of her big breakout. Yeah. Like, similar to, you know, Paul Mescal, right? You know, there's still a lot yeah. more left to give um and this is just sort of a an early nod as far as like who i would want to win i think clearly i'm just picking tara and banshees of initiation for everything but i i agree that carrie condon was really great in banshees yeah all right so we'll we'll see how it goes on sunday the 12th um that's it from us this week if you are watching anything that you think we should check out please let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or you can at us or dm us at criticism is dead or one word on twitter and instagram For extended show notes, including links to everything that we've been talking about and more, please subscribe to our newsletter, criticismisdead.substack.com. As always, thank you so much for listening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts with that sweet five stars and tell a friend about us because you think that we should all be friends. Thank you so much. We will see you next week. Bye. Criticism is Dead is produced by Pelin Keskin Liu and Jenny Jijong. Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew Luke.